1: My name is Morris Pearl. I'm the chairperson of the Patriotic Millionaires.
0: Can, can I call you Morris? What, do, what should I call you? You can
1: call me Morris.
0: If you saw Morris Pearl walking down the street, you probably wouldn't think to yourself, that looks like a millionaire.
1: You know, different people take different approaches. You decide to be a journalist. I decided to go into structured finance.
0: Do you like being known as a millionaire?
1: I don't mind.
0: The funny thing about being a millionaire is that everyone wants to be one. But once you are one, you probably don't want to talk about it. Even if you're Morris Pearl, who's in charge of a group of people who call themselves the patriotic millionaires.
1: When we do have some kind of group meeting with our members, the complaints are always about the name. Well, we could sign up more people if we just change the name of the group to, you know, Responsible Americans or something.
0: This name, though, it's intentionally provocative.
1: You know, with these business cards, say patriotic millionaires, I can get a meeting with pretty much anybody I want to meet with. (laughs) You know, so I get to know the Speaker of the House and the head of the Democratic National Committee. And, you know, people want to meet with me all the time. You know, I get to go on Slate once in a while.
0: Whenever Morris meets up with a politician or a journalist, he's there to talk about one thing. Taxes. He wants to pay more. Yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been getting credit for demanding the rich pay more. Yeah, But Morris has been asking the U.S. government to send him a bigger tax bill for years.
1: That's what I'm for.
0: He's got money. He likes his money. But he's worried about the growing gap between people like him and everyone else.
1: We're going more and more towards a kind of society with some people and some other people. And one group never deals with the other group. And pretty soon the bigger group is gonna get fed up with this and they're not gonna take it anymore. You know, they tried apartheid in South Africa for a few decades. It didn't end well, you know, for the people who are promoting it. And, you know, these very unequal societies end in a not well thing. That's the kind of thing I'm afraid of, is sort of a breakdown of society.
0: Today on the show, Morris Pearl is going to lay out what it takes to be a patriotic millionaire. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. where you were in Greece in 2013?
1: Yeah, in the summertime. We were employed to try to examine the balance sheet of the commercial banks to figure out how much of a bailout they needed from the IMF and the European Central Bank.
0: And you looked outside.
1: Yeah. And, and you saw
0: and people beginning to gather.
1: Yeah, I was. we were having a lunch break, and I was kind of grabbing some extra dessert from this buffet and I kind of walked over to the window so people wouldn't notice I was having two desserts, I guess. And I was looking out the window and I saw this large group of people going down the street and I thought to myself, there's no parade today, it's not a holiday, the streets should be open. Then I realized it was actually like a riot moving, well, maybe a demonstration could have been a riot, I guess, moving down the street towards the, uh, the area where parliament met and I, and I, when I turned around, I noticed there were like 20 well-dressed people having lunch with me, my colleagues in this room. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know, maybe I'm helping these 20 people, but I'm not sure that my project is helping those other thousands of people downstairs.
0: It's interesting because it's like you you saw these people coming down the street. And I wonder, like, did you have an emotional response of like... Am I on the right side of the glass here?
1: (laughs) Well, it was sort of like, I want to feel like I'm doing something to, you know, help somebody do something. You know, that's why I liked doing my job, that clients came to us because they needed something and we were able to help solve their problems. And I liked that. It made me feel good. And I was kind of thinking that, you know, I could do more to help more people and, in a different capacity. And so that's what I'm doing now.
0: I mean, I'm wondering, you live in New York City. I do. There's a strong culture of people of means, like going to galas, meeting each other, a strong social community. When you see people at events like that, where you're surrounded by other people with wealth, and you sort of explain what you're doing, what's the reaction?
1: Well, frankly... relatively often, the reaction is that somebody reaches into their pocket and takes out their business card and says, please send me some information about it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think most people, I mean, look at at how people vote in New York. I mean, most people are on our side, really. You know, I don't feel like I'm the, you know, enemy of anybody. Okay, but
0: even you have written, while I like to believe my fellow millionaires will see the light soon, we can't rely on them.
1: Well, we can't rely on just voluntary action. I mean, what we're supporting isn't philanthropy. We're not supporting charity of people sort of giving away their money. We're supporting changing the laws in our country so that those people who make more money have higher tax rates than those people who make less money. You know, that's what we, we need rules uh, that we all follow. You know, those there's people that ask me, you know, at hearing sometimes, oh, can't we just trust billionaires to give away their money and be more effective than the government? Well, no, we need laws and rules that are created by the voters or their representatives.
0: A couple weeks ago you went to Albany to testify and say, listen, I have money. You should be taxing me more. Did it feel weird to have to show up and sort of ask the government to do that
1: well as i was saying it wasn't that i just want my own taxes to be higher it's that i want the laws to be changed so that all the people with means pay more money so that we the state government has enough money to pay for the stuff that makes new york new york new york city is the magnet for people all over the world to come to create new businesses, to innovate, to do new things. You know, ask, you know, young 20-something entrepreneurs about why they're here in New York. They're not going to mention the tax rate.
0: Well, you're saying the government really needs the money, not just the charities, because you need basics,
1: like roads
0: and trains, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. It's easy to raise money if you want to build, you know, a, a new concert hall at Lincoln Center and put somebody's name on it. What we, we also need that sewage treatment center up on 143rd Street. We also need somebody to fix the potholes in the streets. We also need pre-K for, you know, three-year-olds and four-year-olds. We also need hospitals. We also need mental health services for our people. We also need trains that run better than the trains actually run. We also need a lot of things. You know, not everything can be gotten by, getting a billionaire to want to have his name on something.
0: When you're in situations with people in power, what is their reasoning for not raising the tax rate?
1: They're afraid, I think. You talk to the governor, what does he say? He says, oh, the millionaires will move out of the state. You know what that is? That's appeasement. Hmm. That's a saying, oh, there's these rich people and we you, we can't really upset them, so we can't like ask them to pay more taxes, or else they'll, you know, move to Mars or something. <laughs> um, maybe they will. I don't know. But these policies have worked in the past. In the nineteen fifties and sixties, we built interstate highway systems and universities and all kinds of stuff. And America was very successful. And it was only around nineteen eighties where people got the idea, oh, we shouldn't do this. We should just let the rich people keep their money and the poor people, well, whatever. Our country sort of made a change in a different direction.
0: One of the things that you highlight when you testify and when you talk about this is that in the United States, we have an income tax, but that most rich people aren't drawing an income. They're making money on wealth, right?
1: Right. We have a tax on income. Now, that Does I mean, there's different kinds of income. There's earned income, people's wages and salary with people that work for a living, and there's investment income. Now, we do tax both, but we tax investment income at a much lower rate than we tax earned income.
0: So in your ideal world, how would this work?
1: Well, frankly, I think that when people get money, they should pay income tax on it, regardless of how they got the money. You know, if um, somebody makes... $100,000 $100,000 through a um, profit on investment like I might, my taxes on that $100,000 would be uh, around $4,000 because for people that earn get long-term capital gains, there's a 0% bracket up to $77,000, and even then the tax rate's only 15%. So, I mean, that That's seems- a pretty
0: sweet racket.
1: Well, yeah, but, I mean, why on earth should I get a lower tax rate than you do? I mean, I don't employ people. Well, I mean, I support the Patriotic Millionaires, which is a charitable organization that employs some people. But, um, you know, Slate employs far more people than I do, you know, per dollar. You know, it's not like I'm creating jobs. not like I'm doing something special. I sit around. I own stock that i invested in years ago
0: you've been talking about this for a long time but in the last year in the last few months the conversation about how wealthy people are taxed has really heated up i mean you have alexandria ocasio cortez saying let's have tax rates at 70 or 90 percent." there were all of these conversations at davos where you had historians and advocates confronting people like the CEO of Dell and saying you need to be taxed more he said well I'm creating jobs he sort of pushed back against the advocate and the historian and said I'm creating jobs and then they said to him they have to be quality jobs and that was the back and forth well
1: yeah I mean Dell computer employed people that's true but first of all he founded the company in the 1970s when tax rates were much higher than they are now, actually. So, he didn't need the incentive of lower tax rates to, to start that the company. company. Okay. He founded that company. Tax rates were roughly double what they are now. So, his incentive when he was sitting in his dorm room in Austin, Texas, was not, oh, yeah, when I make a billion dollars, I won't have to pay too much taxes on it. He was thinking of the first few thousand dollars, okay? He was like selling computers and then buying the parts to make them after he sold them and then delivering them.
0: It sounds like what you're saying is that people like Michael Dell They're thinking the way they are now, but they're not thinking as they were when they were young people making these decisions. They're not able to go back to that place and realize, oh, I would have done this just the same or not that differently, at least, if there was more taxes.
1: Well, there was more taxes. Ask Ken Langone, who's also been complaining about taxes. And he takes credit for, you know, building a big hospital in First Avenue, which is fine. Great hospital. I've been there. Me too. But he was the founder of his business when tax rates were much higher than they are now. He was paying seventy percent income tax on a hundred thousand dollar income, you know, when he first founded Home um, Home Depot. People, when they're starting a business, are not thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm going to start this business and try to earn a hundred grand a year, and then in ten years I'll be earning a million dollars a year." Ah. Uh, you know, I think I'll forget about it because I don't want to pay 50% tax when I'm at my $10 million salary 10 years from now. I mean, no, nobody thinks like that. Most people, A, are thinking about what they're going to make the first year, the second year, the third year. And I've never heard a businessman saying, you know, I'd rather have 100% of nothing than 30% of a billion dollars.
0: I wonder if we can do something right here, which is we should talk about how things changed a couple years ago with the tax change. You sort of alluded to it. Can you can you explain to me how the Trump tax cuts impacted people like you and what the difference is like now? Like me? Sure.
1: The money I used to live on comes from gains on my stock portfolio. I have stock in companies like Amazon, like Apple like Berkshire Hathaway and other companies, those companies are making much more profit now because they used to be paying tax at a 35% rate, and now they're paying tax at a 21% rate. So those stocks are worth much more than they were now than they were a couple years ago. So my income, which is not even realized, I've unrealized gains, which I pay no tax on at all, and even the realized gains, which I can control because I only need to sell stock when I actually want money to spend, those I only pay taxes at a rate at a lower rate than was the case two years ago, which is 0% for $77,000. I'm married, so that's the married rate. And then um, 15% up to over $400,000, and then 20% after that.
0: When you see this conversation heating up, I just wonder if you worry about the tenor of the debate changing. Like AOC, She has an advisor whose Twitter handle is, every billionaire is a policy failure.
1: Well, now, see, I don't believe that. If you look at the richest people in our country, it's roughly a third of them are like in the money management business, like hedge fund managers. Roughly a third inherited their money. And roughly a third were some kind of, created some kind of business or something. I think it's great that people can build businesses and things. I just feel that those people who inherited those billions of dollars should pay taxes on the money that they got too.
0: But I guess the pushback would be that creating a lot of new tax will create a lot of disincentives for business to develop, but then also will create the incentive for people to find new ways to dodge the system. People will be storing their money somewhere else. People will be looking for loopholes.
1: Well, look, not everyone follows the law. You know, some people get drunk and they drive around in their cars. Is that an argument for eliminating the laws against drunk driving? No, that's an argument for hiring more police officers. So the argument that people will not obey the law is not an argument that we shouldn't have the law.
0: Warren Buffett has been saying this for years. Why do you think things have a chance of changing now?
1: Well, I don't know what's going to happen. We do seem to have a little bit of traction in the Congress now, partially because the previous Congress went so far in the direction of lowering taxes on the rich that people are realizing it. And so there's more political space for people who want to move the other direction now, I think. But... We'll see what happens. I haven't seen anything yet.
0: I wonder if it's less fun to be a millionaire now because, you know, you sat in Greece and you saw these crowds sort of coming down the street and you're hearing this vitriol. Like, I just wonder if, like, you think of it, you talked about a new grandchild and your children and you think about passing down your wealth and you think of it as kind of a little bit of a burden if you're not paying in more.
1: I don't feel burdened. I feel a little bit worried, you know, at some point when we have riots and people with pitchforks and so we don't do something about it. I feel worried. I feel like I'm trying to do something to make the world, you know, a better place for my kids.
0: Can I be honest with you, which is like when I saw you testifying in Albany, my first read on it was like, there must be a trick here. He must be f- trying to find a way to hide the money and kind of get out in front of this debate that's going on.
1: You know, I remember the first time I met um, Carl Hasty, the head of the New York State Assembly. You know, you walked in his office and his first question is like, why are you guys doing this? What do you want? <laughs> and I tell it like it is. I'm concerned that gross inequality will be bad for me. I'm concerned that in another decade or two, the people who are doing less well are going to rise up and just say they won't take it anymore and we'll have riots like we did in Athens, Greece. You know, I'm concerned that if we have a few rich people, and lots of poor people, it's not going to end well for their rich people, you know, as happened in, you know, Johannesburg, you know, a few decades ago. So yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. So I'd like to change public policies to alleviate those concerns. <laughs>
0: Morris, thank you for coming in.
1: Great to be on the show.
0: Before we go, one last rabbit hole I went down, digging into this alleged election fraud in North Carolina.
2: For the very first time, we finally have official, factual findings in the crazy case of potential election fraud in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District.
0: Over the last couple of days, the State Board of Elections in Raleigh, they've been holding these public hearings into the midterms. Explosive new testimony emerged in the election fraud hearing today. They've been investigating Republican Mark Harris, a former pastor who seemed to have won election to the House of Representatives this past November. And no, he and I are not related. A closer look at the ballots revealed these irregularities. Turns out, Harris had hired a Republican operative with a history of ballot harvesting. That means collecting absentee ballots and either destroying them or marking them up to skew results. Officials say this election fraud was part of why Mark Harris won. And the star witness this week was his own son.
2: I love my dad and I love my mom. Okay. I certainly have no vendetta against them. Uh, No family scores to settle, okay?
0: Mark Harris didn't know his kid was going to take the stand. It was a total surprise. The would-be representative was crying as his son revealed he'd warned his parents about potential ballot fraud. And they didn't listen.
2: I think that they made mistakes in this process. And they certainly did things differently than I would have done them. But in thinking about all of this and engaging in this process and watching it all unfold, I've thought a lot more probably about my own little ones than my parents and the world that we're building for them. And I would be frank, Mr. Chairman, watching all this process unfold, we have got to come up with a way to transcend our partisan politics. And the exploitation of processes like this for political gain, that goes for both parties, Democrats and Republicans.
0: Mark Harris attempted to counter this testimony with some classic dad moves. He called his son smart but arrogant, a 27-year-old who thought he knew better than his own father. But this testimony seemed to get to him. Yesterday afternoon, reporters were forecasting a marathon hearing. There was no end in sight. And that's when Mark Harris After months of maintaining he'd rightfully won his seat, abruptly buckled.
2: Through the testimony I've listened to over the past three days, I believe a new election should be called. It's become clear to me.
0: You could hear the gasps in the hearing room. The State Board of Elections agreed, unanimously.
1: This did not help the reputation of North Carolina.
2: But we've turned the corner now.
0: All right. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It helps people find the show, so it really means a lot to us. I was just over there checking it out. There is a serious debate about how left-leaning this show is. So weigh in. Tell us what you think. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. Talk to you tomorrow.